said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against you. Uh, I, have, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to, uh, uh, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fing finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your, father has, uh, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because uh, he has, uh, has him back safe and sound. The older, older brother became angry uh, and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. All right. I picked that passage uh, just so Pastor Nick would have to read it. <laughs> and last time I spoke, I picked a passage with two verses, and I said, hey, when I preach, we do short verses or short passages, and then I picked this one. So I totally contradicted myself, but it's so good to be here this morning. If you don't know this, I'm the uh, Chi Alpha pastor uh, and just as Pastor Nick said, this has been a crazy week as we've been welcoming students to our campus. Uh, it's my favorite time of the year and my least favorite time of the year because it's a little bit out of my comfort zone to go on campus on Saturday nights and play capture the flag to try to get new students to come. But it's incredible because there's so many new students coming to our campus. And I love August in Cedar Falls because there's just this feeling of newness in the air. There's this feeling... For students, specifically for freshmen and for transfer students, there's this feeling that anything is possible. It doesn't matter who they were in high school, it doesn't matter who they were at their last college, that this is a chance to start fresh. And it gives us an opportunity as Chi Alpha to come and to give these students an opportunity to center their lives around Jesus. And that's why I love August. I love the feeling in the air and this opportunity to give students a fresh start. And I want you to consider something this morning. If you're not a college student, I, I want to encourage you to consider what it's like right now to be a new college student on our campus. 
they're coming here and they have different stories. There's different struggles. They have different backgrounds. Some of them have both parents who are married. Some parents are divorced. Uh, some don't even have parents who are living. There's completely different backgrounds. There's different struggles. And then they're stepping into this new environment this week. And as people who live in Cedar Falls and call this community our home, I think we need to be praying for these students this week as they're making decisions that are literally going to affect them for the rest of their lives. The reality is, is there's students who met each other, or students who met each other this weekend who will get married. They just met, and they're going to get married at some point. That's the reality. Some students on Tuesday night will give their life to Jesus for the first time at Chi Alpha. Some students will do that. Last year we had 20 students do that on our very first service. There are some students who have uh, come through church their whole life, but they've never actually had a relationship with Jesus. They've never been discipled. And for the first time, they're going to have a small group leader come to them and say, hey, I want to give my life for you and invest into you. There's such an opportunity right now on our campus to change the world. Because here's the thing. People coming to our campus will go all throughout the world. Some of them are international students. Some of them will just go back to their community in Iowa. But there's an opportunity to change the entire world through what happens on that campus. So I encourage you, if you're not a college student, to be praying. If you are a college student, I encourage you to consider how you're going to spend your time this year. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be temptations to just focus on your classes or just focus on um, uh, building your resume. But I encourage you to consider giving your entire time in college to seeing disciples made. That's what I encourage you to do. I'm passionate about this because I'm a product of Chi Alpha. Seven years ago, in 2011, I had just given my life to Jesus. I just recommitted my life to Jesus. I'd grown up in the church but had struggled with partying and things like that for a couple of years. And literally... Just a month before I came here, I just recommitted my life to Christ. And I came to campus. The first weekend, I sat up in my loft in Norton Hall. I was on second floor. And everybody around me was going out and partying. And, and this was something I was trying to get away from. I thought I had no friends. I thought I would just have to play video games every night because I didn't want to go party. And then a guy named Jonathan, who was our Chi Alpha pastor, called me and asked me to come here to the church to do a pizza thing. So some students came. We ate pizza. There was like 10 of us in the lobby. And I found my best friends there. I found students who loved Jesus and students who wanted to make his name known on the campus. And it radically shifted my life. Five days after that, I met my wife at the first Chi Alpha service. I got called into ministry a month later, got baptized in the Holy Spirit. God gave me a picture of you and I being reached with the gospel, and I said, I want to give my life to that. God radically shifted my life through Chi Alpha, and that's why I believe in it. I believe there's so much power in saying we're going to plant the kingdom in the middle of a secular campus. There's so much power in that. So as I've considered my story this last week, as I've just been reflecting and as I've been thinking about the freshmen who are coming to our campus, I couldn't help but think back to this realization I had a couple years ago uh, when reading The Prodigal Son, which is the story we just read. Uh, there's a pastor and author named Timothy Keller who wrote this book called The Prodigal God, and he breaks down this passage. And in his book, Radically shifted my perspective on faith and what it means to come to Jesus. And in the book, he makes two points. He says there's two kinds of people in the world. There's the younger brothers in the world, and there's the older brothers. Uh, the younger brothers, typically their story is they go and they party and they uh, pursue everything that the world can offer them, and then they find out that those pursuits are bankrupt and they come to Jesus. But then there's a second group. I think sometimes we only focus on the younger brothers, the people who have these radical salvation stories. But there's also the older brothers, and this is the scary person to be, I think, in the story. Because this person 
throughout their whole life, they do the right things, they go to church, they, or they obey God, they do everything they're supposed to do, but they don't have a relationship with the Father. Because they've only done the religious things to get stuff from the Father. They haven't been actually pursuing God. They've been pursuing what God can give them. There's two kinds of sinners in the world. There's the younger brother and the older brothers. And this morning, what I want to do, whether you're a Christian or not, is consider, do I fall into either one of these camps? And for me, I've been both in different times in my life. And maybe you can relate with both or maybe one of them. But this morning, I'm praying that God would draw us, whether we're in the younger brother camp or the older brother camp, that he would draw us into actual relationship with him. Before I talk more about that, though, I want to pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your presence, for your spirit. God, we thank you for the 2,000 students who just came to our campus. And we pray that something radical would happen this year. That so many students would find hope through you. That they would find true relationship with you this year. God, I pray that this church would be a church that's about the campus. God, I pray that we would be passionate about the college students who come into this room. Passionate about the students on that campus. And that we would pray for them and be a big brother or big sister to them. God, I pray for that. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. All right, so I want to take some time and kind of break down these two brothers a little bit more. Just kind of look at both of their stories and how we might relate with them. So first I want to start with the younger brother, and he's introduced to us in verse 12. And it says this. It says, the, the younger brother said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. So this is how we're introduced to the younger brother. He's asking the father, uh, to give him his inheritance early. And to understand the, the seriousness of this request, we have to look at this verse, or this verse through the ancient lens, or through the lens of the ancient listeners. Asking for your inheritance while your father was still alive was the same as to say, I don't even care if you're dead. It's the same as to wish him dead. It's making a statement that you'd rather have your father's stuff than your father himself. And the father's response is even more shocking than the son's request. He could have said, no, you're not getting your inheritance. Get out of here. But instead, he gives him his inheritance because he loves his son and says, sure, you can have it. I'm not worried about my stuff. In verses 13 through 16, we see that the younger son's decision to take his inheritance early and to leave his father actually leads to personal destruction. He thinks he can do better than his father. He thinks that he can run his life and decide how to live it, and it leads to destruction. Isn't that the story of humanity? Saying that, hey, we can do life better than God tells us to do, and then it leads to personal destruction. He squanders his property, he spends everything, and he's ill-prepared for the famine that comes into his country. And he eventually gets to the point where he hires himself out to feed pigs, and he even longs to eat the pods that the pigs were eating. He then decides, hey, he gets this great idea. He says, hey, I'm going to return to my father, and I'll just be one of his servants. I don't need my inheritance back. I'm just going to come back and say, hey, I'll work for you. And in verse 20, we see the father's response when he comes back. It says this, So he got up and went to his father, but then while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Compassion was bubbling up inside of him, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. In this Middle Eastern culture, patriarchs did not run. They did not run. But this father picks up his robes, sheds all dignity, bears his legs, and begins to run to his son, showing just how deeply in love with his son he is. It's incredible. This picture is incredible of a patriarch running across a field to meet his son. In verse 21 through 24, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
I think we've all done that before. We've been in church. We feel convicted, and we get this speech ready for God. God, I've screwed up. Can you please accept me again? And the father cuts him off. He says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast. Let's party. For this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. What a beautiful picture of the heart of God. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you've believed, God, the greatest Father in the universe, is always ready to forgive you. If you only shed your dignity and turn back to him and, and humble yourself before him, he'll accept you. That's the heart of our God. And it's so easy for us to miss that, especially if we've been in the church for a while, to miss the heart of God for the lost people in our world. However, if we want to experience this kind of forgiveness and love from the Father, we have to realize our empty pursuits and we have to turn back towards him just as the younger brother did. And that leads me to my first point this morning. It's this. Just like the younger brother, we need to repent for pursuing the world over Jesus. So the younger brother's sin is pursuing God's stuff over God himself. Everything on this earth in its purest form is a good gift from God. Pastor Nick talked about this last week. But then, when we, but then when we take these good things and make them into gods in our life or make them into ultimate things, that's when it becomes sin. For example, sex is beautiful. It's wonderful when it's enjoyed inside of marriage. But then when we take it and make it an ultimate thing and pervert it and do it outside of marriage, it becomes sin. And money is a good gift from God, right? We want to be able to buy food and shelter and, and things for our enjoyment. It's a good gift from God. But then when our cash becomes our idol or becomes our God, that's when it becomes greed, it becomes sin, it becomes, something, it becomes something that separates us from God. Food, it's another example. Sometimes we don't like to talk about that in the church because we love going out to eat after church. <laughs> I love Godfathers. But food is a great gift from God. It's meant to be enjoyed. We're meant to feast and have those times of celebration. But then when food becomes a God in our life or becomes the most important thing where we're just looking forward to the next meal all the time, that's when it becomes gluttony. That's when it becomes sin. If we're honest with each other, we each have those things in our life that are good that kind of sometimes become ultimate. Every one of us does. We all can relate with the younger brother in this way. We've all pursued the world over Jesus in different ways. We've pursued success or popularity or money or sex or pleasure. We've pursued these things over God. We've taken good things and perverted them and, and made them into ultimate things. So like the younger brother, we have to have our moment where we realize these things are bankrupt these, can, these things serve as crummy gods. They cannot be God in my life. And we have to turn back and run back to the Father and say, we just want you. We just want you above everything else. We don't want all this stuff. It's all going to pass away. But God, we want you. We want relationship with you. It's the most important thing. Each of us needs to have this moment. So I think all of us can somewhat relate with the younger brother. But some of us, it's harder to relate because we've been a pretty good kid or good adult. <laughs> some of us were just wired to behave well there's some students I meet like they struggle with everything in the world and then there's others that just they just behave well I don't I don't quite know why but there's some of us who are wired that way but the problem with this one is is we're not obeying God because we love him but instead we're obeying God for what he can give us and because it's what we think we're supposed to do so this is how we're introduced to the older brother in verses well 25 and 32 the older brother responds to his younger brother's change of heart, and his response reveals his sin. When he, 
hears the music and the dancing. Like he doesn't say, yes, my younger brother's back. He's here. Let's party. But instead he says, come on, Dad. I've obeyed you for years. Like, why should we party for him? He needs to go back to the pigs. That's how he responds. Verse 29 and 30 says this. It says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. I think some of us have had these conversations with God. Like, God, why did this bad thing happen? I've done everything right. I went to church every week. I've tithed every week. God, why would this happen to me? And yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But then when the son of yours, he doesn't call him his brother, the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So the older brother's upset because he never had a party thrown for him in all his years of obedience. He felt he had earned that. And not only that, he's upset because here's the reality. Like the younger brother took his inheritance, left, squandered it, and then when the younger brother comes back, he gets his inheritance again. So he's thinking, I'm getting less cash now. I'm getting less money. My inheritance just went down. That would stink. Like some of us can relate with that, right? So he's adding this up in his head, and, and, he's, and he's realizing that his brother had done nothing to deserve this, and he should be cast out to the pigs. And when he says, look, in the beginning of that verse, he says, look, that's a sign of deep disrespect. You can't quite see it in the English, but in the Greek, it's deeply disrespectful. He's, he's rebuking his father. Verse 31 through 32, I love the father's response. We so often focus on him putting the ring on the younger brother, but we don't focus on these verses. These are incredible. He says this. He says, my son, he said, you're always with me. The of yours was dead. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He says, my son, my son, he says, despite your deep disrespect, all that is mine is still yours. He had the right to kick him out at that point, but he says, all that is mine is still yours. He says, come back in to the party. He invites his older or his son to come back in the party, and then the story ends, okay? So we don't know what happened. And the reason Jesus ended the story this way is he's actually speaking to the religious leaders of his day at that time. And the religious leaders of his day were older brothers. And he's telling them, like he's sharing this story with the religious leaders, and he's telling them, are you going to go back into the party and have a relationship with God, or are you just going to continue to do religious things to try to earn something from God? And we're left with that. That's where the story ends. The older brother's story shows us that God's, or God still loves those of us who have used religion for our personal benefit, but have never actually entered into relationship with God. However, if we want to experience this love and relationship with God, we need to repent of that sin that's found in us. So the second point is this. Like the older brother, we need to repent for pursuing God only to get his stuff. If this story ended with the younger brother's story, it would suggest that the only sinners in the world are those who are crazy, like the free spirits. And for those of us who are a little bit more reserved, we're like, hey, where do I fit in? But this shows us that even the older brothers, even the religious people of our world need a salvation experience where they realize that religion is bankrupt, but relationship with God is the hope of the world. Each of us need an encounter with God's love. It's not just for the younger brothers. The great sin of humanity is pursuing God's stuff over him. And both brothers were guilty of this, but they're guilty of doing it in different ways. And sometimes it's vivid, like we're just trying to pursue all the stuff of the world. Sometimes it's uh, looking like we're pursuing God, but we're not actually pursuing him. You know, we just pursue God because we want rewards. We want our get-out-of-hell-free card. That's some of us. We come to churches and think, if I come, I'm not going to hell. And I want to go to hell. That sounds warm. 
And some of us, we think, hey, if I do all the right things, if I tithe, hashtag blessed, baby, come on. I'm going to get money. God's going to take care of me. It's going to be amazing. But then when the going gets tough, when God asks us to do hard things, things that we don't want to do naturally, we say, ah, no, 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 that's not for me. But in Matthew 7, Jesus said, count the cost, because following me is difficult. We have to come to this point where we say, it doesn't matter what happens. Jesus is worthy of all my praise, no matter what I get in return in this life. We need to have this encounter with God where we realize that he is so lovely, so worthy, so wonderful. That's not about what we get. It's about having a relationship with him. His story shows us that the religious people need grace as well. But the beautiful thing is when we repent, when we say or admit that we have this pride in us, when we see that we're just only pursuing God to get his stuff, when we realize this and we turn back and come back into the party, the Father's ready to party with us. He's not going to say, hey, you need to stay at a distance for a while. Don't come to the party. But he says, come on in. Let's have a relationship. Let's experience this incredible relationship together. So the Father's response shows us the heart of God. So I want to say two things about the Father, and then we'll be done. First thing is this. Like the Father, God responds to our repentance, no matter what we've done, with love and acceptance. As we see in the younger brother's story, when we realize our sin and return to the Father, he's ready to run towards us. He's ready to embrace us once again. It says, while he still was a long way off, the father saw him, was still com- or filled with compassion. He threw his, or threw his arms around him and kissed him. He says, bring the best robe, put a ring on his finger, bring the fattened calf, let's have a feast and celebrate. God desperately wants to show this kind of love to each one of us, every one of us. God wants to show it to you. You may think, hey, I've done too much, but God wants to show you that kind of love. God wants to show you radical kindness. He wants to embrace you. He wants you to realize, yes, I have nothing to bring to God, but yet he still loves me. Because when that happens, like when you realize that you have nothing to bring to him, and then you experience the kindness of God, it transforms you. God wants you to have that experience. You say, I have nothing, but God has everything. Because it will change everything in your life. It really will. God wants to kiss you and to forgive you and to call you son and daughter, or son or daughter. For some of us, this is more difficult to grasp because maybe we've had Uh, Not a good earthly father. We don't really understand what that's like to have a father who loves us well. But I encourage you this morning that God, despite what you've experienced on earth, God is a good father and his love will never run out. He's the best father you could ever imagine. He's, He's way better than the TV fathers who we look up to and think that dad is awesome. He's the best father in the world. And there's nothing that you could ever do that could separate you from his love. Nothing. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you've done. There's nothing. So in just under two months, we're going to have a baby. We're excited about that. I'm beginning, I don't think I've experienced it quite yet. I think I'll probably experience it more when she gives birth to Jane. But I'm beginning to feel that, or feel that weight. I felt a little bit with my cats, but it's nothing compared to that. (laughs) And there's just this, there's just this resolve in my heart. It doesn't matter who Jane ends up being. It doesn't matter what she ends up doing. I'm going to love her no matter what. I'm going to embrace her every time. I've already decided that my love for her is not based upon her performance or how well she behaves, but it's based on the fact that I've dreamed about her since before she was born, and I'm her dad. That's the way God views you. God dreamed about you before you were born. God formed you together in your mother's womb, and there's nothing that you could do to change his mind about you. Nothing. This needs to transform us. God is anxious for relationship with us. He's anxious for intimacy with us. He's ready to run towards us. Because of what Jesus 
did on the cross where he died in our place and paid the penalty for our sins and then rose from the grave, right relationship with God is available to us. He's bridged the gap between us and God. And all we have to do is turn back. And we can experience that. And here's my last point. And this just gets me fired up. So last point is this. Like the Father, so if you like experience God's love before, you're like, I get that. It's a good reminder, but I get that. Then this is for you. Like the Father, we must pursue the spiritual orphans of this world. Like the Father. We're called to be like the Father. We're called to be like the Father in this story. It's not just about relating with the younger or the older brother. We're also supposed to relate with the Father. We're supposed to run to the spiritual orphans of this world. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this this week. As students are flocking to our campus, and the majority, probably 90% of them that are new students, are spiritual orphans. They don't have right relationship with God. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. This is what the Father's about is first showing us his love, but then emblazing our hearts so deeply, so powerfully that he sends us out to then pursue the spiritual lost sons and daughters of the world. John 1, 12 says this. It says, yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There are thousands of people in Cedar Falls. There's thousands of people that you and I who need to experience this verse. They need to experience what it means to believe in the name of Jesus and to become a son or daughter of God. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, and your heart is not stirred for those who are lost that come across your path every day, then you need a fresh experience with who God is because God is all about people. God loves them. And as his sons and daughters, we should be like God. And we should love the lost people in this world. We should be filled with compassion. I pray that your heart would burn, would burn for the lost people in our community, that they, that your heart would uh, long for your, or long for people just as the Father's heart longed for the Son in this story. I pray that you would run to the orphans of this community. I pray when people come into this church that aren't Christians or like you don't know them, that you wouldn't, because, you know, for me, it's like sometimes I don't like meeting new people, just, it's not natural, so I'm going to hide by the coffee and be like, drinking, like, this new person over there, someone else talked to him, but I pray that when new people would come in, that you would run to them, be like, we're so glad you're here, we're so glad you're here, and ask them their name, ask them how they're doing, I pray that you would be about people who don't know Jesus, I pray that you would experience the Father's heart, not only for you, but also for other people, if we can do this, if this can happen, if the Father's heart can be downloaded into us as a people, this will change everything, the worship team would come, we're about to close, pray that we'd have the Father's heart, but, but before we can have it, I just, I need to say it again, before we can really have the Father's heart, we need to experience God's heart for us. We need to experience what the younger brother experienced on that day when he had his speech all written up, and then God said, throw it away. I love you. It doesn't matter what you've done. We need to experience that. So this morning, I'm going to kind of invite you into that encounter, like whether you've already had that encounter in the past and you need a fresh encounter or if you've never encountered God's heart for you that says it doesn't matter what you bring, I'm bringing everything. So 2,000 years ago, God did the ultimate running towards us when he sent Jesus, right? He sent Jesus to come for all of eternity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
experiencing profound intimacy and community. Jesus comes out of that, becomes a baby, which is like the ultimate sign of humility for God, right? To become a baby. And then Jesus lives the perfect life. He never sins once. He obeys God's law to a T. After his people for thousands of years have not obeyed the law to a T, Jesus obeys it to a T. And then Jesus is rewarded by being put on a cross and then paying the debt of someone who did not obey the law to a T. And as Pastor Nick so beautifully shared this morning, he didn't only do that. He didn't only die on the cross for us, but then he goes into the grave and then literally comes out of it three days later. That needs to mess up a little bit. Like Jesus rose from the grave. We don't just follow some dead religion. We don't just follow some rules or someone who got a good idea and then shared it with other people and they shared it with other people. But instead we follow a God who defeated death. And he did it all because of you. He did it all. Like he saw you even then when he rose from the grave. He pictured you in his mind and he knew that you would need that. That you would need to have a God who rose from the grave. A God who pursued you. So this morning, all you have to do to experience that kind of love and to have that downloaded into your heart is just to do what the younger brother did say, I have nothing to bring to God. I'm bankrupt. Even if you're religious, you need to do that. I'm bankrupt. None of my good deeds are anything compared to God's righteousness. And you need to come to him and say, God, show me your love. If you do that, something profound will happen. And if you've experienced that, I pray this morning as well, that you would have that heart for other people, that you would pursue other people. And so if you bow your heads and and close your eyes, I just want to pray. And I'm going to do something a little bit different. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to that because I think God honors faith. He honors that humility. So if you're in this room this morning and you can relate with the younger or the older brother, if you're honest, you don't really have right relationship with God, I want to give you an opportunity to, or to ask him this morning to, or to ask him to show you his heart, to show you his love for you. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. When I do, I just want you to slip up your hand. It's just between you and God. Just signaling to him that you want to experience that love. So one, two, three, slip up your hands all across this room. I see all those hands. Tons of hands going up. All right, I'm going to pray for you, and I want to pray for another group as well. So God, we just pray this morning that you would download your heart into us, that you would show us how much you love us and you care for us despite our filthy rags, and even despite our good deeds, you love us, God. God, I pray this morning that you'd bring us into right relationship with you and you'd help us to know that there's nothing that, that any of us could ever do to separate us or to separate ourselves from your love. God, I pray that that would happen. And there's a second group. If you're here this morning and you say, hey, I know God's heart for me. I'm in right of relationship with him, but I'm kind of cold towards lost people and you want God to, to kind of light your heart up for lost people this morning. I want you to ask God to do that by signaling uh, through just the raising of your hands. So if you would do that now, just raise your hand to God and say, hey, I want your heart for lost people. All right, tons of hands. I want to pray for that group as well. So God, we just pray this morning that as a church, we'd be about people who don't know you. God, I pray that we'd be about the things that you were about, which was seeking and saving the lost. God, I pray this morning, uh, just as we go out to the campus this week, that you would empower us uh, to share your love with people. And I pray uh, for the adults in the room who aren't in college, I pray that they would go out to Cedar Falls and to Waterloo and to share your love with the people they pass by. God, give us your heart this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Pastor Nick, you want to come quick and just kind of close this out? All right, would you stand with me? Everybody up. Yeah, there we go. All right, all right, all right. What time is it? It's 11.03. Whew. Keeping us, getting us to lunch early. It's good. It's good, it's good. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, thank you. What a great reminder. 
The Father has this beautiful uh, heart towards us, right? Towards us. Regardless of how